0: We're taking time to think about Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. Actually, Mike, if you would turn those off, we're going to watch the we're going to see a scene from the opening of Mel Gibson's movie The Passion of the Christ, which is recording Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's about four and a half minutes long. And and this scene pictures The anguish that's in the soul of Jesus Christ that night. Now, Gibson takes a little liberty uh, with the event. He actually shows us Satan, a figure of Satan. And Satan is the one who is now tempting Jesus to abandon his mission. And friends, what you have in Gethsemane is this intersection, John Calvin says, is the intersection of heaven and hell and earth. where hell will inflame wicked men to come and crucify the Son of God, where hell will come and tempt Christ to abandon his mission, but where God himself will come and take what they meant for evil and turn it for good. And though, though the serpent will crack, will, will strike, the, bruise the heel of the Savior, Christ will crush his head it's about four and a half minutes. Just meditate. How many times has this Garden of Gethsemane been a place of tranquility, of peace, of beauty, and of refuge for Jesus and his disciples as they've come to pray? But tonight, tonight, this Garden is is the place of agony. Oh, in the next day He will be nailed to a cross. He will be brutally beaten. But I suggest to you that it was this hour that was the worst for Jesus. One of the weaknesses of the film that Mel Gibson made about the passion of the Christ is that it so emphasizes the physical torture that Jesus suffered that in some way it minimizes what he catches at the very beginning of the film in this opening scene, that the agony for Jesus came when he realized the full horror of what he was about to do, what he was about to experience. He... Who the Bible says, "Knew no sin." He who lived his life in wonderful, sweet fellowship with God, his Father, now realizes, and it breaks in upon him that he is going to be cut off, and the just wrath that falls upon sin will fall. Upon him. And Jesus, here in the clearing, Jesus falls to his knees and then to the ground, we are told. And he is never more human than he is here. And he wants comfort. But there is only silence. And there is only the cold, hard ground for him. Abba. He says, Father, everything is possible with you. If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. But no answers come. The air is silent. And the only answer will come from those men on their way now to take him And he will be betrayed, and he will be deserted, and arrested, and bound, and mocked, and spit upon, and crucified. So, will he be faithful to his Father? Will he be faithful to you on this night? Because if he could have his way, he would have the cup pass from him. Luke's account tells us that Jesus was so overwhelmed that he sweat drops of blood, and physicians tell us that there can be such extreme anxiety in a person that the blood vessels can swell to such a degree that they will break into the glands and the blood will come out of the sweat glands because of the a- agony of the anxiety and the stress. And Jesus sweats blood. Luke tells us that Jesus almost dies. He, and Gibson catches it when he fell forward on his face. He almost dies. And so God allows the, the veil to be parted and an angel goes in not to deliver him but just to keep him alive. For that death would be premature, and Christ is kept alive. And now the test is before him. Will he be faithful? Now let me ask you this. Would you voluntarily accept an assignment to take a suffering that is so repulsive and so frightening and so upsetting to you that it nearly kills you? Will he be faithful? Why is it so terrible? It is because Jesus realizes with absolute clarity what is in that cup that he must drink. Death is in that cup, the wrath of God is in that cup, the ugliness of sin is in that cup that he must drink. He falls to the ground not because he's a coward. Jesus was no coward. He falls to the ground because now he knows what he must endure. He who knew no sin becomes sin, is clothed with sin. Our sins imputed, reckoned to him. And this strangled cry comes from his mouth. "Ah, All things are possible with you. If it is possible, let this come. Pass from me. Do you remember back in another garden? In the beginning, with Adam and Eve, God said to them, If you break my law, if you disobey, if you turn from my way, you will surely die my face will be cut off from you and you will be cast out as Adam and Eve were into the howling wilderness outside the garden not to return. And so Jesus says, no. If I do this, you will despise me and I will be lost and cut off from you. And right here, Jesus Christ is tempted with the essence of sin. You know what, we think sin is doing bad things, right? Sin is being bad, doing some bad stuff. Let me tell you what sin is. Sin at its essence is saying, my will be done, not yours. I am in control of my life, not you. I will have my way because your way is too much for me. I cannot, I will not have it. I am the CEO. What is a CEO? I am the chief executive officer of my life. That's the essence of sin. And in that moment, Satan and hell tempts Jesus. To turn away from the path God has for him. Have you ever committed that sin? Have you? Every one of us has. Every one of us. And Jesus was tempted. And he despised the thought of going to the cross right then. But he hated even more the thought of not doing the will of his Father. And so, he prays the very prayer he taught us to pray. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Yes, Jesus Christ practices what he preached. And in the worst moment, he says, Abba, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And if being the CEO of your own life is the essence of sin, Jesus Christ right here demonstrates for us the essence of righteousness in its most pure form, which is what? To live out in obedience to his Father, to do God's will. Sometimes I think I can be in control of my life. I have to manage my life. And sometimes as a pastor, I have to manage my life by managing your life. You're probably not that happy about that. And we get into all these mind games. I am in charge. I am the captain of my soul and the master of my fate. That's why Jesus had to come. Do you understand, friends? That's why Jesus had to come. To do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Could it be any clearer? I'll say it one more time. Earth, hell, and heaven met in Gethsemane on that terrible night, in that excruciating moment. And hell inflamed sinful men to want to kill the Christ and to tempt him away from his mission. But heaven came, and Christ was faithful. And he obeyed, and he went, and God reversed even what was meant for evil, and used it for your salvation and for my salvation. So Jesus says in Mark 14, 42, Arise! Let us go. And when he says it, I love the way Gibson put it, the serpent is there, and Genesis 3:15 is fulfilled. He will crush the head of the serpent. He says, Arise, let us go. And stops the head of the snake. Devil, we're done. To the cross I will go. Arise, here comes my betrayer. And the moment passes, and that is the triumph. Do you get the chills as you think about this? The moment of triumph is there. Oh, yeah, the cross will be terrible. It will. But you know, when Jesus is on the cross, he is still so composed that he takes care of his own mother. You see. Psychologically, Jesus is ready when he's there on the cross, even though he is forsaken. But now, Why? Because the victory now is won. Here's the point. Jesus said yes for you. Can you hear it tonight? Jesus said yes, I will suffer for you. So now the question for you is, what will you say to him? How could you say no to this man? Let's pray together, shall we? Our Father, I do not want to say no to Jesus tonight. We pray, Lord, that as we are meditating on what you have done for us, that you will loosen up our souls, our hearts, our minds, and we we will not say no to you. We will say yes to you.